ask you, if you will, please make warm and welcome Pastor David Hughes. Stand to your feet and welcome him, Lake Hills Church. You got a microphone? You got your microphones. <laughs> I love you, man. Thank you so much. Please, please be seated. It's uh, uh, it is truly uh, my honor to be back with you again, and uh, for several reasons, quickly. But one is, you're flipping Lake Hills Church. Man, you are this incredible church, this expression of the body of Christ that is so powerful and so passionate. And uh, if you, this has been your only church, if you kind of came to Christ, this has been your only church. You don't know how blessed you are. Because this church is a movement, there's a freedom here, there's a power here, So it is, and you're responsive, it is so great to be with you once again. So thank you, it's a privilege to be with Lake Hills. And then I, I do have to say this, and I know, I know somebody's thinking, this is that time when the guest preacher gets up and says nice things about the church, and is kind of expected to say some nice things about, like, the pastor. And, and guess what, that's okay, that's okay, that's, that's good manners. Texans have good manners, amen? Well, I'm South Florida, South Florida people, my... my in fact, I actually did school in Texas. I went to Baylor, went to Southwestern. And, and the first time I'm driving on a country road and someone waved at me, like in a pic, I waved at me. See, people wave in South Florida, they just use one finger. So it's different. So you guys got manners here. You have manners here and, and saying nice things. But that's good manners. And then it's honor. And uh, honor is uh, it's a biblical quality. Now, we're supposed to bestow honor on people worthy of honor. And so allow me that moment just to say, uh, I'm so blessed to have friends like the Richards, but you are so blessed to be loved and led by Mac and Julie Richard. You don't know. I, and their kids. It's so good seeing college girl home, Emily home, a treat to get to see you. And Joseph's actually serving in the kids ministry. They have amazing, amazing children, uh, but they're just a phenomenal family and they're incredible friends. But Mac and Julie both just are such great community. In fact, I feel like I'm a pretty good talker. I'm a decent leader. Then I get around Mac you know, and Julie, and they're both such brilliant communicators. And Mac just drips leadership. He's kind enough not just to speak to my church. He sits on our board. And anytime, anytime I have a big issue, I'm confused. My first, first phone call is your brilliant pastor. And I love to watch Mac wrap his intelligence and his words around the issue. So thank you for being our friends. And you guys got it good. You got it good. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, we got it good. Turn to your neighbor and just say, just own it. We got it good. We're part of Lake Hills. We're led by these amazing leaders. This is a house. There is so much just passion and power. You got it good. You are blessed. In fact, stop and look at that same neighbor again. Stop at the same neighbor. Look at that neighbor. Look at that neighbor. And just, just check them out really good. That, that person looks like, in my opinion, a highly intelligent person. Look at that same person. Look at them, man. They look how intelligent. In fact, affirm them. Say, you look like a highly intelligent person. You're probably a biblical genius. You probably made a perfect score on your SAT, right? Say that. Affirm that person right there. And they might be underwhelmed by the study today. I do want to fit into the theme to a degree, Emmanuel, about God's presence. Pastor Max has been teaching, if you've been here, about this incredible idea in the Bible that God so loved us and so wanted to relate to us that he became one of us. So Jesus is what? He is fully, fully human, but he's fully God. He's fully human. And he's fully God. That is the link that God would go to arrange the possibility of relationship with us. Fully God fully man. But I love as you read the Gospels, the disciples don't get this right up front. But the disciples don't figure out fully who Christ fully was until after the resurrection. So I love reading some of the narratives and stories as Jesus is revealing his power and watch them try to process through this. And we have one narrative like that found in Mark chapter 
5. Mark chapter 5. If you have a copy of the text, quickly turn to Mark chapter 5. And I want to walk you through the, this text. And though you are, you're Austin, which means you're wonderful and you're weird, but you're also smart and you're sophisticated. I'm going to over, underwhelm you a little bit because I just got like one idea. This is a very famous story. It's a narrative. It's something Jesus did. He, he touches this, this broken person. It's, it's so famous. It shows up in three of the four Gospels. And all the great Bible teachers have tackled this text. They found all kinds of insights. But though you are Austin, you're intelligent, and that person next to you made a perfect score in their SAT, I just got one point. I got one point from this text. I got one big idea, just one landing place, all right? So I'm going to tell you the one point right now. So turn to that same neighbor and say, please don't miss the one point in the one point sermon. Go ahead, turn to that same neighbor and say, don't miss the one point. I know you're really smart, but here is the one point. In fact, it's a one word, one point. It's the word compromise. Compromise. When I say three, loudly say the word compromise. One, two, three. That was good. That was good. By the way, I come from one of those rowdy, responsive churches, so thank you for doing that. It makes me feel good. I, I have affirmation issues. If you don't respond, I'll think you won't like me. All right? So, so compromise is the big idea. And nothing good teachers, you know, should have illustrations. And Mac is so creative. He's had all these amazing illustrations over the years, even elaborate illustrations. This is what I got. I, I got an illustration. Let me set it up this way. Turn to, turn to the other person on the other side who is clearly your second choice. All right? Turn to that person. And, and um, hey, I like church to be interactive. I like to inter so engage with each other, not just with me, interactive. So tell that person, what is your favorite breakfast food? No, wait, 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 wait. Not your whole meal, just food. One thing, a breakfast thing, what's the best thing for breakfast? Ready? And go. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. All right. All right. All right. Awesome. Moment of bonding. Okay. Back to me. Back to me. Who said, who said as their answer, this is my illustration for the day. Bacon. Woo! Oh, yes. Bacon is a worship experience, is it not? Bacon. By the way, those of you who did not say bacon, your answer was wrong. Bacon is the best. I got, I got a whole plate full of bacon right here. Uh, any bacon lovers in the house? Bacon lovers? Uh, put your hands together if you like your bacon kind of squiggly. You like that squiggly kind of bacon? Bacon? Put your hands together. Any squiggly bacon people? How about if you like it kind of crispy? It's a plate of the crispy right here. Woo! I'm dropping. Yeah, I'll, I'll share. Who likes it? Yeah, bacon. Bacon. There you go. Bacon. Bacon. See, the squiggly doesn't fly very well, but this, this does it. So bacon. So bacon. So the one point, the one point, the one point sermon is what? Is is? What is it? Compromise. No, no. But the illustration for the one point is what? The illustration is one more time, loudly. Bacon. Both campuses, loudly. Bacon. Okay, hang on to those, those ideas. That's, that's all I got, and we'll kind of walk through this text. And I, I dig my Bible. I really like my Bible. I love to spend time in God's Word. Anybody feel the same way? I mean, I, I mean, for me, the Bible's so powerful, so catalytic, so inspiring, so life changed me. I love the Word of God. I don't do drugs. I read my Bible. I love my Bible. So let's go work through a little verse by verse. Mark chapter. Mark chapter. You're there, Mark chapter 5, verse by verse. Watch Jesus show up and show off. It says in verse 1, they, that is the 12, and Jesus. They're trying to figure out who Jesus fully is, Emmanuel. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with a problem, a man with, my Bible says, an impure spirit, impure spirit. Now, your Bible might have a different rendering of this original language. It might say, some older translations say, a man with an evil spirit. 
But I think the best rendering, some Bibles say a man with an unclean spirit. A man with an unclean spirit. When I say three, loudly say the word unclean. One, two, three. So this guy has an unclean. We're going to find a whole bunch of unclean spirits. And he came from the tombs to meet Jesus. The man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore. This is wild. Not even with a chain, for he'd often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart. He broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Look at verse 5. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he, he would cry out, and he would cut himself with he's a cutter he would cut himself with stones i gotta stop right here and just say this is this is sad isn't it i mean don't spiritualize these bible stories this is a real man this man is so marginalized so broken he's so messed up uh, he, he lives in a graveyard he didn't wear clothes anymore it's a danger to himself and others this is this is a story in fact i just have one big idea but there's all kinds of takeaways from this i'd say this is a story about crazy this crazy person that's relevant for somebody. Anybody here? You got a crazy person in your life. Anybody here? Come on. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Anybody got a crazy person in your hand? All right, stop. Put your hands down. That was terrible. That was terrible. Some of y'all lying right in church right now. Do you have family? You have family? Who has family? Put your hands together if you have family. You got family. You're blessed with people that love you. You got family? You're not very excited about your family, but you have family. Do you have family? All right, you got family. You got family. If you got family, you got crazy. Right, it's Christmas. You definitely got crazy right now in your family. Because I have family. If you have family, you have what? You have people that you love like crazy. You have people you're crazy for. And if you have a family, you have somebody who's making you crazy. Amen. Now raise your hands. Yeah, I got someone. I got someone in my family. I love them. I'm glad they're in my family. Everyone has crazy. Put your hand up. I love them. I love them. But, man, they got bad manners. They got bad hygiene. Right? Right? They're rude. Keep your hands up. Man, they're just a mo- I got a crazy person. I'm trying to figure out. Put your hands up if you have a crazy person. Some of y'all don't have your hands up. See, if you don't have your hands up, know what that means? You're the crazy person that we're trying to navigate. We're trying to figure We're praying about you. Wow. All right. So here's this guy. And I mean, he's just, his, his, his world is crazy. And he's about, and by the way, there's somebody here, and uh, I'm going to talk to you about a relationship with Jesus. Now, Jesus, when he comes into your life by way of a relationship, in fact, that's a decision that you can make in a little bit. When Jesus comes to your life, he changes everything. In fact, he changes you in every way a person can be changed. He changes you wonderfully, radically, eternally, relationally, habitually. I mean, he just changes you. But somebody here, you're thinking, man, I'm too gone. I'm far gone. I'm... My life is so messy, David. If you knew the issues in my life, if you knew the problems, if you knew my habits, if you knew the severity of my many mistakes, you know. Guess what? I don't care how messed up you are or at the downtown campus. You're not as messy as this guy. Because you got your mind, you got your clothes on. And you're in church. You're not as messy as this guy. This guy, is, he's, he's, it's, 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 it's a bad thing here. It's a sad beginning of the story. But guess what? Jesus shows up. We'll pick it back up. You're listening way too slowly. I'll run out of time. Here we go. Listen quicker. Here we go. So verse 6, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top. You see, crazy people have volume issues. He shouted at the top of his voice. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus said to him, come out of this man, you impure, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, he's so discerning. What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs, verse 11, pigs were feeding in the nearby hillside. The demons begged, lots of begging and urging, because he quite, that's crazy. Uh, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. 
He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. A herd of about 2,000, that's, that's a lot of pigs, by the way, 2,000 in number, rushed down the street, a steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. The people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus and saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, sitting there dressed in his right mind, they were afraid. By the way, that's a natural response. Often when you see God work in your life, you're starting to sense who Jesus fully is. Though it's powerful and cool, it's, it's a little scary. It's outside your comfort zone, right? It's, it's not part of your, your experience. When you see God begin to move or call you to do something daring and decisive, that first human emotion might be you're intimidated. Right? I don't know. Wow, God, this, this is big. This is even a good thing here. So the people see this guy healed, freed up, delivered, but they're kind of afraid. They're kind of afraid. The story continues. Verse 16. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened about the demon-possessed man, told about the pigs as well. Verse 17, this is a crazy verse. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. That's stupid, isn't it? You see Jesus show up, he changes someone's life that radically and that wonderfully. You see this guy who's been the crazy guy and living in the tombs and dangerous guy, and he's there and he's whole. And I know it's intimidating. I know it's outside of your experience, but to stiff arm Jesus, to give Jesus the Heisman and tell Jesus to leave, that's crazy. This is dumb as a bag of hammers. And so Jesus does what they ask. And verse 18, as Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus did not let him. Jesus, okay, I want you to read. I'll highlight a couple words here because these are really cool words. Here's what Jesus, the guy wants to come along. He's like, Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. What you've done in my life, I'm so grateful. Can I, can I come along? Can, can I play? Can I be disciple number 13? And Jesus says, no. He says, no, but look what Jesus does tell him to do. This, this is really cool here. Verse 19, Jesus did not let him, but said, no. but said, said what? No. Said, said, go, go home. You see, once upon a time, he had a home to your own people. He had family. Go home to your people. And what's it say? And no. tell. So he says, go tell. Say it with me. Go tell. Jesus, you go. You can't come. You can't come. But you go one more time, go. And if you check out verse 20, he says, fine, I'm on it. And, and he goes and it says he went to this region called the Decapolis, the 10 cities. And he makes Jesus famous, tells everybody about Jesus. People are amazed. And here's the cool thing. Not only does this guy start out the story, first 12 verses, a very messy, marginalized, broken man, lost control of his reality in his own mind. At the end, Jesus not just forgives him and saves him and heals him, grants him with sanity. God gives him purpose. And in verse 19, Jesus said, you go tell, you go tell. You see, I would argue this man is so infused with purpose, he becomes the first commissioned missionary of the 2,000-year history of our faith. Only Jesus can do something like that. You see, what did Jesus tell him to go tell? Jesus could tell he was a teller. Jesus could tell, when this guy Ram said, I want to go with you, Jesus could just tell that he was a teller. And see, many times Jesus would heal people and he would say, shh, don't tell. Maybe go to the temple, tell the priest, show the priest, so this, this miracle can be verified and confirmed independently. But don't tell anybody, and they wouldn't tell anybody, but Jesus could tell this guy was a teller. His life had been so radically transformed, he couldn't be quiet. And Jesus did not want his messianic ministry prematurely interrupted. So you can't come with me because you're going to tell people. But you go tell. You go tell what God has done. Jesus commissioned him. And by the way, if you're a Christ follower, his commission is our commission. Because Jesus tells us to do what? To go 
tell, to go tell, to go tell. But some of you guys won't go tell. And I can't tell why. Maybe you're afraid to be rejected. Maybe you're afraid you can't do it. Maybe you bargain with God and you say, God, I'll, I'll, I'll volunteer and I'll, I'll bring the tithe. No, but I just can't do the telling thing. You know what? Mac was right. This is the few weeks before Christmas. It's the easiest time to go tell people about God or tell people about Jesus or at least tell people about your church because you go to Flippin' Lake Hills. And you have this amazing service constructed, all these incredible artists coming in. And I don't know what it is about this season. Hey, when I say three, loudly say the word season. One, two, three. You see, Jesus did tell parables. The Bible is full of metaphors. Jesus loved to tell parables about authority. You know, kings and their servants. He loved to tell stories about architecture. You know, people building their homes upon rocks or sand, you know, foundations. But his favorite was agricultural. All kinds of stories about farmers and sowing seeds. But you got to sow a seed during a certain season, and you harvest at a different season. There's something about this season right before Christmas when people who need Jesus desperately in July and co-workers that need, need your God just as desperately in October, but you invite them to church, they have no interest. In this season, they're receptive. And I'm just telling you, I'm telling you, if you will do what your pastor asks you to do and fill your back pocket with a nice travel size card, put a bunch of these in your pocket, and then every morning between now and the 22nd, you pray a dangerous prayer. You pray this prayer in the morning to God. All right, God, I'm, I'm a little phobic about this embodying people, but you told me to go tell. Go tell. So I'll, I'll do it. But you got to give me the green light. you got to give me a clear, open door. Because you don't want to be that weird Christian, right? You don't want to be that weird, pushy, obnoxious. Ever met that guy? Ever met him? That weird, pushy? Come on. I won't make you raise your hands. Ever meet that? All right. Ever meet a weird Christian? If you didn't raise your hands, you're brand new to church, or you are the weird Christian. All right? I don't want to be that guy. But if you pray that prayer, you take these, keep them on your person. And you say, God, give me someone today. What will happen is, during the course of your day, God will mess you up. In a beautiful way. He'll give you someone that's receptive and open and, and you'll get a chance. And that person may just show up and hear the good news of our king and bow their knee and make life's greatest decision. And you have the incredible joy and spiritual satisfaction of doing that God used you in a small way in the process of saving somebody. Go tell. Go tell. Say it with me. Go. Come on. Go. Go. This, if this guy can do it, crazy naked man, listen to it, you can do it. All right? Crazy naked man can do it, you can do it. Go tell, go tell, go tell. And, and man, I'm around time, so, so thank you for listening. But I, I did say there's, there's, I have like a point and I have an idea. This guy does it. In fact, there's a couple questions. I think this narrative begs. And I told Mac, Mac's a great preacher, and every great preacher has dealt with this famous text. There's a couple of questions I, I found in this text that most people don't, don't deal with. And I think they're kind of obvious. Uh, I'm not sure why. I, I tackle the Word of God kind of in a sideways fashion. But here's a couple of questions, and we'll shut this down like, like this. Don't answer this one out loud. But how in the world did this guy's life get so broken? How did this guy's life get so crazy? How in the world? Because the first 12 verses, he's a mess. You might be messy, but he's messier than you. How in the world... The, the, this guy's life gets so sad, right? How, how in the world? Answer, the Bible does not say. But I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this. How did this guy's life get so broken? I believe this. It didn't happen all at once. Uh, you, you understand? I, I mean, uh, it wasn't like one big decision. 
one big tragic horrific decision like on a monday he made this decision by monday afternoon he's a crazy guy living in the tombs howling at the moon right that's, that's not the way it went down it wasn't just one big evil horrific decision that blew up his life no i, I don't think how do i know that because nobody does that i mean this dude didn't wake up it says in verse 19 that he had a family he once upon a time lived in a village he didn't wake up one day with a good job a nice family in the village say like, today today i want to make a decision so bad one single decision so horrifically bad in its implications, by the end of the day, I'll be a crazy man living in the tombs. I'll be buck naked. I'll literally howl at the moon. I'll become a social pariah, a danger to myself and others. And by the end of the day, I'm going to give control of my mind and reality to Satan. That's what I'm doing today. Right? No one does that. You with me? Ever see someone's life, their life blows up and you know something happens. You're like, how in the world? And guess what? It didn't happen all at once. Uh, nobody's going to leave Lake Hills today, either campus, on Sunday. No brother's going to go home on Monday. And Monday morning, as you wake up, say, you know, today, I think I'll have an affair. Today, I'm going to go to work, commit adultery. I think I'll get close to Thelma and accounting. I think Thelma's having some problems in her marriage. Make a little small talk. You know, build a confidence. Uh, maybe she'll cry on my shoulder. I'll fantasize about Thelma. We'll have a business lunch, then a business dinner, then a business trip. And I'll have sex with her and my wife will find out. She'll divorce my sorry rear end. I'll give all my monies to attorneys. My wife, my ex is a sharp lady. She'll no doubt remarry. And some other dude's going to raise my kids. Yeah, that's what I'm doing today. I'm going to screw up my whole life with one big bad decision. Nobody does that, do they? So how do you see people's lives implode? Answer, compromise. It's typically not one big bad decision. It's a series. It's a progression of decisions, a little compromise, a little tainted, a little grayer, then grayer, then grayer. You start to journey down a path. You start making decisions that back when you never thought you'd even consider, but now they become your reality and it gives itself over to ever greater degrees of evil. Compromise. How did this guy end up in this deplorable state? I guarantee you it was not one decision. It was a series of compromised decisions. And someone's going, well, David, that's a valid point. We all know that compromise is very, very dangerous, but I don't see that anywhere in the text. I've looked at the text here. I don't see compromise in the text. The reason why is you are not a first century Jew. But if you're a first century Jew, you would see that throughout this text. You would see that the, the language of spiritual compromise. You know what it is? It's in the word unclean. Say unclean. Unclean. Remember, the guy had a legions of demons. They're described as what? As unclean spirits. Now, you do a word study on that word in your text, unclean. You'll see synonyms. It will say tainted, contaminated, or wait for it. To be compromised. But it's throughout the text. Throughout the text. Think with me. Answer out loud. Uh, when this guy is, you know, leaves his village, he loses his sanity, where is he living? Where is he living in the first 12 verses? Where is he living? Pardon me? In the tombs. Now, don't think like you know, a well-manicured cemetery today or a well-constructed mausoleum. The Jews would fashion tombs from naturally occurring caves in the hillside. This guy is living in one of these caves. This guy is doing life uh, surrounded by decaying corpses. And if you know your Old Testament Mosaic law, that a Jew was not allowed to have proximity or surely touch a, a, a corpse, that would render that Jewish person what? Unclean. But there's one place it's conspicuous. There's one place it is obvious in this text. Did you notice when Jesus dispatches the demons? Where does he send them? Where does he send the demons? When he, he says the demons got to go. They go where? Into a, a bunch of what? 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 Pardon me? Seriously? 
pigs. 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 Okay, I got, I got a final question for you. Now, how many pigs? How? How, how many? 2,000 pigs? Here's the question. How did 2,000 pigs get in the promised land? How in the world did 2,000... See, the pig was the poster animal for unclean. In the Scripture, Moses had clearly said the pig is unclean. If you're a good Jew, you don't touch, go near, surely eat a pig. You don't do that. But we don't have a pig or two. We have how many pigs? We have 2,000 pigs in the promised land. That's so inconsistent. The promised land. Milk, honey, and pig poo. Are you serious? How in the world did 2,000 pigs, the ultimate unclean animal, end up in the promised land? Answer, it didn't happen all at once. Are you with me? I mean, like one person. Thank you, one person. I'll take that one person. Yeah, I mean, there's no way that a pig rancher moved in one day with 2,000 pigs. They'd have lynched him, ran him out of town. How did the pigs, 2,000, get in the promised land? Answer, Bacon. Bacon. I guarantee it happened with bacon. Right now, the unclean is clearly in the text. You may not see it, but it's in the text. And the bacon part, that's not really in the text, but would you mind if I, I speculate a little bit? Can I speculate just a little, a little conjecture? Is that okay? Is that okay? Uh, pastor Mac, do you mind? All right, great. Everybody else, just agree with your pastor. I'm going to speculate. I'm making this up as I go right now. But guess what? I think when we get to heaven and find out the backstory to Mark chapter 5, this is probably pretty close to the way it went down. How did 2,000 unclean pigs end up in the promised land? Bacon. But I think I go back in time. Go back in time. Go back somewhere maybe in the years or generations before the story occurs, before Jesus shows up in the region of the Gerasenes. There's probably like a Jewish business guy. And he's out of town. He's, he's out of town. He's far away. He's out of the country. He's in Phoenicia. He's in Phoenicia, and he's doing a business deal. He inks the contract, and the nice Phoenicians say, uh, how, about, how about we have a business dinner after, you know, the contract, celebrate our new arrangements. He's having dinner, and there at the dinner, they serve up to him an exotic meat he's never, ever tasted before. He takes a bite. There's a salty, sweet flavor that explodes in his mouth and a tear comes to his eyes. Like, what is this? He says, this is, this is the most amazing meat I've ever tried. Well, sir, this is called bacon, his host says. Bacon, that's great, bacon. What part of the cow does bacon come from? What part of the chicken does bacon come from? Well, sir, bacon comes from a pig. A pig? Unclean, unclean, I can't eat that. That's inappropriate. That's Moses said in Scripture, I can't eat. He feels guilty. He leaves that meeting. He feels so bad. He can barely sleep that night. He feels so guilty. He ate unclean bacon. Next morning he wakes up. He feels kind of bad, still kind of guilty. But he thinks, bacon was really good, though. It was really good. I better be good for breakfast. That bacon was so good. And so every time he goes back to Phoenicia on business, he says, uh, we have a little dinner afterwards, a little breakfast. We'll serve up some bacon. Every time he goes there, he has a little bacon, a little bacon. And he rationalizes, doesn't he? He rationalizes. It's just a little bacon. I'm not murdering anybody. I'm not robbing a bank. What happens in Phoenicia stays in Phoenicia. Right? I, it's just a little bit of 
just a little bit of bacon, a little bit of bacon. And so every time he goes there, he makes sure he has a little bacon. Then maybe later on stage, he's, he's on another business trip. He's at a different part, maybe not quite so far away. This time he's going to like the Canaanites. He's going to hang out and do business with the Canaanites. And, and the Canaanites are not nice people. So after business, they have bad manners. There's no dinner. So he's riding the family camel home to Israel. Goes by a like, like a restaurant there in the rolling hills of Canaan. There's some nice trees out front. He sees a sign, strange language on top of that restaurant. It says, uh, Pillar of Salt Lick BBQ. <laughs> Pillar of Salt Lick BBQ. I never had me any BBQ before. I got to try some of this BBQ. He goes inside. There they have many of them go, Baby Back Ribs. Baby, I've never tried them. So, man, I ordered some Baby Back Ribs. Starts eating the baby. Oh my, it's so good. Just he's licking the salt baby back ribs. This is incredible. Said, ma'am, ma'am, you gotta tell me. You gotta tell me what, what baby, what part of, of, of like the cow does baby back ribs come from? What part of the lamb? What part of the chicken does it go? Oh, I hope it's not a baby. I mean, where's it come from? Where's it come from? She said, Well, well sir, it, it comes from a pig. A pig. Mm, so good though. So good. So good. He feels a little guilty, but not as guilty as. Before, and maybe it's like a third trip. You're tracking with me right now. It's a third trip. And this time he's, he's out of the country, just barely out of the country. He's just, he's just immediately south. He's immediately south, right over the border. He's, he's visiting the, uh, the Cuban Knights, the Cuban Knights from Miami. The Cuban Knights, the Cuban Knights. The Cuban Knights are nice people. And they're at dinner. They serve up some uh, cafe con leche, some black beans and rice, some sweet plantains, and lechon alzado. He eats some lechon alzado. It is the best thing he's ever wrapped his mouth. Oh, it is so good. He says, he says, Cubanite, Cubanite, what is this lechon alzado? I don't speak Spanish. What is it? Well, sir, that is roast pork. Y'all got a doggy bag, got a doggy bag, got a doggy bag. I'm taking this home, taking this home. And he does. He takes it home. He sneaks it back into his house. Maybe he's, he's there in the back of the bedroom, or maybe he's eating the lechon alzado. He's, he's in his office by his computer trying to sneak it, get away with it. And his wife surprises him. He feels bad. She says, what are you doing? Oh, honey, I shouldn't do it. I, there's some lechon alzado, but it's so good, baby. You want some? You want some? And, and she eats some, too. And so every single time, stay with me, he goes to a pagan place. He brings back some lechon alzado or baby back ribs or sweet smoky bacon. And finally, he brings back a pig. I don't mean like a 500-pound hog. I mean, cute little pig. Just bring back cute little pig. No doubt that first guy got discovered. And there was social outrage. And he was disciplined by his community. But then another guy brought back a pig. And then a third guy brought back a pig. And finally people are bringing back their pigs. And they got pig problems. And, you know, and, and finally the, the city fathers got together. The council got together. And they met in a meeting and said, you know, we have a pig problem. We have a pig problem. People seem to want their pigs. Now, we know what the Bible says. We know what Moses said. But people want their pigs. And we don't get voted out of office. So, uh. No, what you do, we need to strike a uh, compromise. And then somebody stood up and said, I got it. I, I got it. Here, here's what we'll do. Here's what we'll do. All right, here's, here's the compromise. And then somebody said something like this. They said, okay, I, I know what Moses said in the scripture. I know what the Bible says about pigs, but. And then he or she said something, right? He or she said, I know what the word of God says, but, you know, dot, dot, dot. I know what God thinks or what scripture says, but, you know, ellipse. I know, guess what? Guess what? This is so important. This is important thing I'm going to say. Anytime anyone ever says to you, even the guy you meet in the mirror in the morning when you shave, anytime ever says, someone says to you, I know what the Bible says, but what follows the but is going to be wrong. It's going to be un 
true. It's going to be damaging. It's going to be destructive. It's the language and rhetoric of spiritual compromise. It will, it will mess you up. You with me? Whenever anyone says whatever the Bible says, but dot, 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 whatever they say after that, man, it is so bad, it's going to jack you. Can I just say this as clear as I know how? Whenever anyone says to you, I know what God thinks, or I know what the Bible says, but... What follows the butt is going to be butt stupid, butt ugly, and get your butt in trouble. I like, I like Mac in the back that's like reluctant applause. Like, I don't know if I can clap to that. It's just the truth. And there's somebody here, and uh, I don't know what area of your life, what habit or what discipline or what relationship, and, and this talk is kind of right where you're living and you know what you're thinking? You're thinking, I got this. I got this. I know I'm doing some things that a few years ago or a few months ago I thought I would never do, but I, I got this. I'm smart enough. I can, I can throw on the brakes before it goes too far. And God loves you so much. He brought some knucklehead from South Florida all the way here in these cold temperatures to say, God loves you. Throw on those brakes. Turn, repent, run away from the bacon. You see, you see. Somebody here, you know how the story ends up, right? The story ends up, Jesus shows up, and here's this broken, messed up guy, way messier than you or me. I mean, we have our issues. This guy was crazy, naked, how the moon guy, right? Jesus shows up, and when Jesus shows up, everything changes. And though there are 2,000 pigs in the promised land, because somebody said made the compromise, I, I know what the Bible says, uh, but maybe two pigs per family, two pigs per family. Then later on, it was 22 pigs, then 200 pigs. And by the time Jesus shows up, there are 2,000 pigs. Jesus did not even need to see the pigs. By the time the sinless son of his man, his sandal strikes the shore, he can smell them. And here's this broken guy. And this guy needs to be emancipated and free. So Jesus frees up and heals him and dispatches the demons. And the demons run into a herd of 2,000 pigs. And the pigs abruptly run into the water and they're drowned. But guess what? Jesus doesn't care. Because when Jesus comes to your life, your pig's got to go. And um, there's somebody here, you think I'm talking about pigs and bacon. And I'm talking about people and environments that are messing you up. And I don't know you, but I know certain things about you. There's a God who loves you and he made you and has this incredible purpose for your life. And why would you sacrifice or settle for anything less than God's very best? And the enemy, the enemy is subtle. He, know, he knows he can't do you with one big, bad, horrific decision. No problem. Small decisions of spiritual and relational compromise can be just as damaging. Be on your guard. Be wise. Watch out for the bacon. Amen. And we're done. We're done. We're done. Thank you very much, Lake Hills. As always, I've made a mess of the stage here, stepping on bacon because this was the crispy stuff. And we're absolutely done, except one final thought. I did mention as I began, there's somebody out here, and you, uh, you, uh, you don't have that relationship with Jesus. And you're here, and uh, I think you should make that relationship choice today. I think in a moment I will show you how. You can kind of navigate that decision by, by praying a prayer, a sincere prayer. And the Bible teaches if you pray that prayer, this day, this hour, no matter what campus, you'll be saved. And you know what's happening right now? You're talking yourself down from that decision. In fact, if I can be honest, it's really not you. It is the enemy. And he's probably going to use the language of what? Compromise. He's going to try to entice you with some bacon in your life. I, I mean this. Here's what the devil will say to someone who's on the, the, the precipice of making that amazing, brilliant decision for salvation. Well, what the devil will actually whisper in your ear is this. He'll say, do it. Yeah, I know, surprising. He'll say, do it. Yeah, you need, you need God. You need the whole Jesus thing. 
Do it, do it. I mean, you're, you're going to be messy and broken without Christ. And what Pastor Max has been talking about in the past weeks, you know, Emmanuel, make a full decision to fully receive Christ. You, you need to do it. Just, just not today, of course. I mean, you're kidding today. You got, you got all these issues still, and you got these valid God questions still, and it's like a guest speaker guy up there. You can't get saved as a guest speaker guy. And uh, he's going to try to talk you down. It's not a convenient day to do this. You're not ready for this. You didn't plan on this. Guess what? No one ever does. And I can't argue with him. And I don't need to because God's done a pretty good job. Because there's a verse. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians that says this. It's so incredible. It says, now. It says, now. When I say three, say the word now loudly. One, two, three. Now, now is the day of salvation. Now is your day of salvation. It says it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. And what a genius God is to orchestrate the environments and the events of your day to put you in this place and to inspire the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago to write that inspired statement, knowing that it would intersect with your life and reality. So the Bible says this. You don't think you're ready. God thinks you're ready. God thinks you're ready right now to make this amazing decision. I know you have all these questions. You're not sure what it means. And did Adam have a belly button? I don't know either. But I know this. You know your next move is to say yes to Jesus. Walk in the light that you have. And the Bible teaches in Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And what will Jesus do in your life? Same thing he did with messy guy here. And your mess is not as profound or apparent, but we all have our mess. It's called sin. And my Jesus came and died on that cross to pay for that sin. He arose again. He's alive right now. I know it's Christmas. It's all about cute baby Jesus. I mean, please crucify your Ricky Bobby theology. And recognize Jesus grew into a man and said amazing things and did magnificent miracles. And he was crucified to pay for the sin of humanity the way the prophets taught. And he arose again. He's alive right now. And he wants nothing more than a relationship with you. May I ask right now, both campuses, everyone please to bow their heads, everyone to close their eyes, please. No one leaving early. I know what you do is very important. You probably work for the CIA and got to go protect the president. But, you know, hang for just two minutes. Because close enough for you to touch is someone near you who needs to pray this prayer. And this needs to become your day. Your day. I know you did not come here today planning on this being your day, but God says now is the time and today is your day of salvation. If you desire a relationship with Christ, just, just pray this. This is what it says in Romans 10, 13. Just take my words, make it your words. No need to pray out loud because God's a genius. He can read your mind. Pray something like this. Pray a salvation prayer. Just say, okay, God, I'm... I'm in. Yes. I'm saying yes to the whole thing. I, yes to what I understand. I'm even saying yes to some things I don't understand. But I'm saying yes to Jesus. I recognize he was fully man. And I believe he was fully God. And I think he fully came for me. So, Lord Jesus, I give you all that I am. I'm holistically yours. I give you the good and the bad. I give you myself. I ask you to forgive my sins. I know that you did die on that cross to pay for my sins. I believe that you arose again, and I believe that you're alive right now. So I am yours. Save me. Lord, I, I, I will live for you with passion. I make you the CEO of my life. I will spend all of my days by your grace living for you. And when my days on earth are through, I'll spend forever with you in heaven. For I make this prayer in Jesus, my Savior's name.
Amen. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. Because this is holy ground that we're on right now. It's holy because God is moving in people's lives. It's holy because this moment, right now, touches eternity. If that was your prayer, and you meant it in this place for the first time in your life, that's the reason we exist as a church. For the difference that Jesus Christ has made and will make in your life from this moment forward. If that was your prayer in this place with heads bowed and eyes closed in this sacred moment, I want to ask you, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, if you would just quietly but definitively raise your hand high over your head. And as you raise your hand, I want to make sure that you understand this is a moment for you. It's a moment that needs to be marked. There is certainly emotion in the moment, but it's emotion plus. It is actually that moment that Jesus talked about when he said the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, but also with all your mind, all your strength, all your soul. And so we want to just pass something down to you to mark this moment in your life that is something for you to make sure you remember on that day. Jesus became real to you. On this day, you responded definitively to the grace initiative of God. And so I want to ask you if you will just take that little gift that we passed down the road to you, those who your hands were up, and you'll notice in there, there's a Bible that's for you to keep. There's some information for you to read later that I think will help you as you move beyond this moment into the what now moment. And it's a logical progression. We, Anybody who has ever responded to the grace of God like you just did has that moment. And as a church, we want to help you with that moment. And to begin that process, we want you to know that this is a safe place for you. We want to be your faith family, if you will. And so if you will, just take out the card that's on top of that packet inside the box and fill it out. Just right now with the pen that you got when you walked in, if you'll just fill that card out and then in a few minutes you can just drop that in the offering bag when it comes past you. Or as you exit this morning, you'll notice kind of a a blue canopy. It says lhc.org. And if you'd like to hand that to a live person just to make a personal connection, there are folks there that would love to meet you face to face. Because as a church family, we exist to grow the community of Christ one life at a time. And so what God just did in your life, your response to His grace is something that we celebrate, something that we honor. And it's important to us that you feel at home in this place. And so we've got a family tradition for those of you who just accepted Christ. 
We want you to be a part of the family. We like to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do day in and day out.